0: Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series The Book of Acts, The Church, Then and Now, and was preached on August 13th, 2023. Um, We're continuing our study today from the the Book of Acts. And what we're doing, we're looking at major themes from the Book of Acts. We're not going to go verse by verse, but we're looking at major themes learning them from the Bible, and then applying these things to our church. Now, I hope you recognize that we've already tried to do that. You hear me say all the time here at ABC, we love God, love people, and follow Jesus. That's not my formula. That's a biblical formula. That's kind of what Jesus said are the most important things, to love God with our whole heart, to love all people as we love ourselves, and then Jesus called his disciples to say, follow me. So we try very hard to pattern our church after biblical teaching, and especially, I want you to hear this, in our day of very rapid change, we need to know the Bible, because if we don't know the Bible, we don't know what change is good and what change is not good. And our standards and our foundations and our values will end up being messed up. So we need to be very clear. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we'll do. Now, I want you to understand how this works. Where the Bible is silent, then we are free to choose. For example, the Bible doesn't say what type of instruments to use in worship. And so we are free to choose what fits our church. I've never been in a church before that has one of those. And I get asked all the time, what is that? It's a steel guitar. Why? Because we have someone who is talented at playing that. We're, we're, we're free to choose. And so if the Bible doesn't say, we can choose. The Bible doesn't say anything about buildings or times of services or what translation to use or what songs to sing or what foods to serve. So we're able to make those churches. But when the Bible is clear, that's our truth. The Bible, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are our guides. They are our experts. There's a lot of things in life that I am not an expert at. I am not an expert mechanic. I can change a tire. I can change a battery on most vehicles. I can change a simple hose and maybe do a few things beyond that. Beyond that, I I go to a mechanic. They're the experts. I'm not a doctor, but I go regularly. I found out last week, now that I'm old, that they don't call it an annual physical anymore. It's now called a Medicare wellness check. (laughs) Seriously, I said annual physical, and when I gave my insurance, oh, then you're you're here for a Medicare wellness check. Okay, whatever you want to call it. And, and, you know, I'm not an expert. The doctor asked me, have you had your pneumonia shot? No, I don't think so. Do I need one? He said, roll up your sleeve. <laughs> I was going to go over his head and ask my ultimate expert, but I knew my wife would say, take it anyway. So, so I, I took it because he's the expert. He knows what I need, and I will listen to an expert. But when it comes to church, understand the expert is the Bible and the Holy Spirit. They're the ones that lead, and that's why we're studying the book of Acts and so, we're going to finish chapter 1 today, and we're going to learn these kind of eight foundations, even before the day of Pentecost, which was in Acts chapter 2, then we're going to see the foundations that the church, under the leadership of the disciples, had set. So, we're going to read today Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. For the most part, it's the same passage that I read last week. Yes, it does include my favorite Bible name. Theophilus that I get to say one time, any of you have any children, you name him Theophilus, he will automatically be my favorite person in the church. Um, Doesn't mean I'll change his diaper, but I will talk about him publicly. But anyway, I really want you to know this and I want you to understand, and though I'm going to read the first 14 verses, we're going to talk about all of the um, first chapter. So let's stand together and let's read The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You may be seated. I want you to understand what a challenging time that this was for the disciples. This was their biggest challenge. From day one, I mean, from day one, when Jesus called them, they had been with him constantly. And they could look to him. What do we do? What do we say? Where do we go? What's right? What's wrong? Jesus led them constantly. And now suddenly for them, Jesus was physically gone. And they were now the leaders. And so what they did is they looked back and they drew from Jesus' teachings. And they followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And they did such a great job that they changed the world. In one generation. They're a fascinating group of men. By the way, uh, National Geographic just put out an article this week that I'm going to read in the coming week. What do we really know about the 12 disciples? Man, I'm fascinated about that and want to read about that. But in one generation, they led the charge to do exactly what Jesus had told them to do, become witnesses and make disciples in the entire Roman world and beyond. And they started a church that even today is the world's dominant religion and has almost but not quite gone to every known people group in every nation. They were able to do so because they set the right foundation that they got from Jesus. And so their foundations need to be our foundations. We need to build them into who we are. And so some of this is review from last week, but we need to learn these eight foundations that just in chapter one alone, the disciples set and said, these are the foundations of the church. And so I mentioned the first four as a quick review. And the first one was the reality of Jesus. They built their church on the truth that Jesus is alive. He was their message. They weren't primarily political or philosophical or moral. They talked about Jesus. He's real. He's alive. He loves. He died. He rose. And He is the way to God. It's all about Jesus. So in our church, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to pray in Jesus' name. We're going to love and help people in Jesus' name. We're going to imitate Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. That's who we are. Jesus people gathered together to do the work of Jesus. If we forget what it's all about, we, we might as well lock the doors and go home. It's all about Jesus. He needs to be our primary focus. What the world needs now is Jesus. What America needs now is Jesus. What your next-door neighbor needs is Jesus. What your children needs are Jesus. So it's the reality of Jesus. The second thing was the promise of His Spirit. Jesus said, wait, stay there in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on because He will be your power. Our power in the church is not in preachers, leaders, buildings, organization, ability, talents, money, or strategy. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are like a really nice-looking car without an engine or a motor. We we can put it in a museum. Man, that looks really good. That looks really cool. But the purpose of a car is transportation, and it's totally useless. We can't accomplish what we need to accomplish without the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why we gather together and pray so diligently that God would be at work. The third foundation is the promise of his return. That's where urgency comes from. That's why we're not in a rush, but we need to be pretty quick about doing the work of Jesus. That's why we can be optimist about the future, even when the world is pessimistic about things like climate change and things like wars and things like terrorism and and, and all the other issues. It's not that these things are unimportant. It's that we know ultimately our foundation is Jesus is coming back. We are going to be okay. And so we have this hope for the future. Jesus will return. But we want to be busy about doing his work and we want to be ready. And the fourth foundation, we talked about these first four last week, was a focus on his command to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be witnesses. Or in Matthew 28, he said, go into the world and make disciples. We will have eternity to rest and worship. That's part of what we do right now. But our major task is to go into the world and make disciples. I repeat a parable I told you from last week. A man was hired to irrigate crops, but it was hot outside. So he instead straightened the farm office, washed the vehicles, cleaned the garage, and he repaired the tractors. The crops died. The man was fired, not because he did anything bad, those were good things, but because he neglected the main job. He did good things, but not the main thing. Our job here is to do the main thing, to make disciples. We must keep the main thing, the main thing, and always in our focus. It's why we're here. So those are the foundations that I shared with you last week. I want to repeat them again because they're absolutely essential to who we are. And if we ever forget those things, then we're going sideways as a church or backwards. We need to know the foundation. Why was the early church so successful and we struggle today? Because maybe we're not built on the right foundations and we need to learn those. And the fifth foundation is the necessity of unity. I like the King James Version, verse 14 here, which says, they all continued with one accord in prayer. The NIV says, join together, and that can just mean, you know, they came together physically, but what it's getting at is far more than a physical getting together in one accord, teaches that they were together in unity with the oneness of purpose and a spirit of love that prevailed in the entire congregation. It wasn't just physical togetherness. They were together together in mind, in heart, in purpose, and in love. There's a difference between together and together. Holly, don't mission. listen just for a moment or two, and children, don't try this at home. But if you take two cats, a missionary told me this story one time, if you take two cats and you tie their tails together and you throw them over a clothesline, they are together but they are not together together. They're hissing, they're clawing, they're spitting, they're meowing. There is no oneness of spirit. It's all about me. I'm going to get away from you. I'm going to get down. And the missionary went on to share with us. He said, too often today, the church is like two fighting cats. We're together, but we're not together together. It's more than coming together to church. You hear it in the church, and sometimes, shame on us, you hear it in our church. There's grumbling, complaining, whining, judging, fault-finding. We're like hissing cats. The church was able to accomplish their task because they were in one accord. And by the way, that's a common theme throughout the book of Acts. So that, that, that's in chapter 1, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together with one accord in one place. Acts 2, 46 says, and they continuing daily with one accord, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Acts 4 24. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord Acts 5:12 By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people and they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch a part of the temple Acts 15:25 It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. You see it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Acts. They were together, together. They were in one accord. They had a oneness of spirit and love and purpose where they could work together. And that, that lack of that, is what destroys individual churches and church-to-church relationships. Unreconciled differences, grudges, people at odds, grumpies, unforgiveness, racism, hatred, that will destroy a local church. And honestly, when people just leave mad to go to another church without reconciling differences, it destroys the larger church. Unity is an absolute foundation of the church. So I want to tell you something, honestly, if you have an issue, resolve it. Jesus was very clear, resolve it today. Don't let it hang on. Don't complain about it in the hallways or in the parking lots or in the restaurants or on the phone or online. If you have an issue, resolve it. Talk it out if you need to. Forgive if you need to. Love. Get help if you need to. Follow the biblical way where you start one-on-one, and if you need help, you get help beyond that. Jesus was very clear that a lack of unity will destroy the church, and it's one of the major issues that we have in America today. We can't get along with Methodists. We can't get along with Nazarenes. We can't get along with non-denominationals where southern baptists can't get along with american baptists independent baptists others we just gather together and point out the faults of every other christian group out there and so the world honestly looks at us and says, if you guys can't even get along how are you going to teach us about love if we can't love in the church we got nothing to say to the world about love whatsoever and so a foundation of the world has to be the necessity of unity and so i'm not even to the practical steps yet but here's my practical step if you have anything against your brother in this church solve it by tonight i mean it's it's clear it's biblical that is what we need if the church is going to find a way to find a way to do it we want to be together together and not just together and so that was one of the, the, the great things that the early church had, that they had this unity. Now, it's clear. We'll read it. You'll see here and there. They had differences. They, they disagreed on how to treat the widows. They solved it immediately. They had some doctrinal issues. They got together, and they solved it immediately. Paul, this great man Paul, had some issues with another missionary. He solved it. If you hang on to a lack of unity You're destroying the work of God. I don't know how to say it any stronger. But there's others, foundations. The sixth foundation is the necessity of prayer and prayer meetings. Now now listen to me carefully because I want you to understand this is biblical. And I want to tell you this. It should change your thinking about church life and how to do church. In 28 chapters of Acts, 34 times, Luke talks about prayer. In the first four chapters of the book of Acts, Luke records five church prayer meetings. Prayer meetings are more more typical in the book of Acts than preaching, singing, offerings, baptisms, the Lord's Supper, business meetings, Bible study, teaching times or anything that today's church now considers normal prayer specifically prayer meetings were at the heart of the early church and i believe were a foundational reason for their success but today we kind of said that that that's optional that's for a few holy people or whatever no it's foundational to church health Not just prayer, but prayer meetings where God's people gather together in one accord and pour out their hearts to God. I know all the excuses why people don't come to prayer meetings today. I want to tell you, they're just excuses. They're not reasons. Well, you know, it's too late. I get up early. Listen, start an early morning prayer meeting then. I'll publicize it. Maybe I'll even join you. The very first prayer meeting I organized in my life, I was not a pastor. I was a college student. Now it's important for our church and it's important for our, our, our group that we get together and we pray. So we tried to find a time. You know, we find up at 5 a.m. in a park because by 6, we were on the road down to, to, to U of A or we were going to work or Whatever. It wasn't an official church-sponsored thing. It was just a group of students who loved God and wanted to get together and pray. And God drove the success of that college department like nothing I'd ever seen. Do For a time in that church, the largest, and this was not near the U of A. It was across town. But the largest class in the church was made up of young college students. I'm not taking credit for that. God gets the credit. We just prayed. So, yeah, our prayer meeting at 5.30 is too late. Get up early, start one, and I'll publicize it for you. Or it's too early, I hear a lot. You know, we meet at 5.30 on Wednesdays for a meal and prayer. It's it's too early because I work late. Listen, then start one later. I'll publicize it for you. I might even intend. Well, I, I don't drive at night. Then we have an online one, and you can join that one. Or or you can start one on a weekday morning. Well, you know, Pastor, I have kids. There's absolutely nothing you can do better for the future of your children than to teach them to pray in a prayer meeting. Well, I'm too busy. Listen, if you're too busy to do the stuff that Jesus said, you need to prioritize, reprioritize your life. Well, I don't like the way we do it. The how is not the important part. The prayer is the important part. Well, I pray a lot on my own. That's good. But Acts focuses on praying together in one accord. I'm 65 years old. Every church I've ever been in was full of people who had excuses as to why we can't do the foundational thing that Jesus taught us to do, and it's time we stop making excuses and say, I will gather together with like-minded Christians, maybe three of us, maybe a hundred of us, I will gather together with like-minded Christians and pray because I want God's work and my church to be successful. Good prayer is essential to church life. We can't complain about a lack of spiritual power in our churches when God said, do this, and we don't. I mentioned earlier that I'm not a mechanic. You don't need to be a mechanic to diagnose some problems. them down the street, the car just stops. And you think, maybe it's the battery. No, you're out of gas. And you think, maybe there's not enough air in the tires. No, you're out of gas. And, and, and you think, you know, maybe I'm low on water. No, you're out of gas. And you justify, maybe I just need a new car. No, look at the gas gauge. You're out of gas. You don't need to be an expert to diagnose that. And so it's time for the American church to diagnose. We're out of gas. We're low in the spirit. We're not moving forward, even though here and there churches are growing big mostly by pulling people from other churches we need to look at the diagnosis and say the holy spirit is not at work in the way we want the holy spirit to work what do we do fill the gas gauge how do you fill the gas gauge we gather together and pray in one accord asking for the power of the holy spirit if you don't come to prayer meeting am i making you feel guilty I hope so. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. I know that the American church is looking at everything else. Maybe we need a new name. No, we need prayer. Maybe we need a new preacher. No, we need prayer. Maybe we need a new strategy. No, we need prayer. Maybe we need new carpet. No, we need prayer. Maybe we just need to go to a new church. No, we need prayer. The primary reason, and I believe this with all of my heart, and you've heard me say it before, the primary reason the church is not making headway in America is because we're not doing what Jesus told the church to do. Gather together and pray for the power of my Holy Spirit because that is where the power comes from. Say amen again. I'm going to come to prayer meeting. Say amen. amen. If I can't come to prayer meeting, I'm going to start one. Say amen If I can't come to prayer meeting, I'm going to start one. I'm going to let other people know Pastor Jack said he will publicize it, and maybe even I'll show up because I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer, and it's one of the foundations of the church. Number seven. Maybe I just stick on that point the whole time. (laughs) These first two are important, seriously, and they are major issues in the church today. You know how church solves problems today? I'll just go to a new church. You know how the, we don't pray. I don't. Just, we've got excuses, but there's more foundations. Seventh is a focus on the work. And by the way, the end of chapter one, which you didn't read, is what Warren Wiersbe calls the first church business meeting. The church met, prayed, and decided on a replacement for Judas. It wasn't fun work. It wasn't exciting work. It took work to sort through the qualifications and see who might be the right person. But I applaud the disciples and those who do the necessary work behind the scenes to get God's work done the committees, the teams, the planning meetings, the secretaries, the custodians, the people behind cameras and soundboards and computers. It takes much work behind the scenes to harvest and baptize. And for the disciples, it was clear, hey, while we're waiting for the Holy Spirit, we're not just going to sit in a pew. We've got work to do. Let's do it. So can you answer this job clearly? My job in the church is... I believe every believer needs to do that. Be able to say, this, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm part of this church. It's this the talents, gifts, and abilities. My job is this. What's your job in the church? Because we need to focus on the work. Doing God's work is work. It's not just I'm going to find a church where I can enjoy, sit back in the pew, and blessings will just pour upon me. We're a team. We come together. Every team member does work. I'll say more about that in the practical step. The eighth thing we see is the total trust in God. After doing the legwork and coming up with the job description and the qualifications, they decided either of these two men would qualify as the 12th disciple to replace Judas. Did you read how they made the choice? They cast lots, or in modern terms, they, they, they threw dice. One, two, three, it's Matthias. Four, five, six, it's Justice. It's Matthias. No arguing. No manipulating, no lobbying behind the scenes. They trusted God completely, and when the decision was made, there was no second-guessing. This is how he said, we're going to find God's will. That's God's will. Let's do it. Total trust in God. No one said, I know better. We're going to let God decide, and we're going to do it. And that has to be part of church life. We totally and completely trust God. If He's led us to do it, we're going to trust that He's going to do it. Let me give you some action steps. Some of these I gave you last week. Number one, I gave it to you last week decide what you believe. Number three was join a church. Number six, tell people about Jesus. Those are things you what do you believe about Jesus about God about the church about the Holy Spirit you need to to nail that down you don't have to know everything but you've got to nail down the basics this is what I believe then you need to find a church join it jump in technically speaking once you're a believer you're already part of the church you just need to affiliate with a local group These are my people they're not perfect but they're my people and I' work God that's my preacher he 's not perfect we all know that but i i'm going to work with him and 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 that's my building. is not perfect, but that's where I meet. And, and, and you jump in and you join a church and you serve God there. And then number six, tell people about Jesus. And I'll end with that in just a minute. But let me give you the three that I didn't give you last week. Number two is reconcile if necessary. You have anything against anybody else in our church. Work it out immediately. Because you are hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't just leave. That doesn't solve the problem. Work it out. Solve the issue. At the very least, agree. We're going to disagree on that. But, man, we're going to love each other. And we're going to be friends. And we're going to, going to work together. Reconcile if necessary. Number five, get a job in the church. Volunteer, serve, whatever you want to call it. But that's how life works. Listen, we're at that preseason time in football where teams are getting together, high school, college, independence, pros, they're getting together, and everybody on the team has a position. Everybody. You can pass, we're gonna try you out as a quarterback. You're fast and hard to tackle, we're gonna make you a running back. You're big and you can block, we're gonna put you on the line. You can run and catch, you're a receiver. You can kick. You're on special teams. You like to knock people down. You're on defense. What do you do? You do laundry? You're the team manager. Okay. What do you do? You can pray? Okay, we'll put you on the Raiders because it's their only hope this year. I mean, everybody has a job, and for the team to function, everybody has to do their job. By the way, you can't do anything you're a referee. Anyway, that's just a side comment there. What is your job in the church if you don't know sign up for something? we got more jobs than people most any week, and, and, and I've never been able to say, hey, man, I really want to serve in the church. Man, everything's full. <laughs> Take a number. We'll get back to you, maybe 24, maybe 25. You know, you, you can cook. They need help in the kitchen. I mean, they're doing a great job, but they're overworking themselves because they don't have enough people in there. We need more receptionists. You can answer a phone and smile at people and be nice and say, no hablo espanol. Um, then you can work the front desk. If you can speak Spanish, so much better. Because we could use a few people that no hablo inglés. It's okay we got places for you. You need to work with kids? You like to change diapers? Or you don't like to change diapers, but you're willing to change diapers so mom and dad can come to church, work the nursery, work with ch- children, work with teams. We need more sound people. We need more musicians. You name it, we need it. And without it, we're not going to function effectively. So, so get a job. Tell people about Jesus. You just find a way. To tell people about Jesus. You don't have to be a great evangelist. You don't have to do it from the pulpit. You don't have to do it in class. But if Jesus is important to you, he's going to come up in your everyday conversation. If you don't care about Jesus, you'll be quiet. But if Jesus is important to you, it's, it's going to come up in conversation. I had the opportunity, I wish I, I, I made more of it, but I had the opportunity, I was, I was at a interdenominational crisis response team on Luke Air Force Base. I'll show you the picture someday of Jeremy and I at F-35. But you know who I was sitting next to? The leader of a Muslim mosque. And listen to him talk. And just letting him know, for us, it's, it's about Jesus. He said, yeah, I knew that. You know, we didn't, didn't get a whole lot more conversation, but if you believe in Jesus, you're going to find ways to bring him into conversation. Any conversations. that's our job. That's our task. To lift up the name of Jesus. To talk about Jesus. To worship Jesus. To follow Jesus. To serve Jesus. These are the foundations of our church. Let's do them. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net, and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.